Talkers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 25. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. 25, 25 episodes in. That's a quarter of a hundred. I'm not very good at math. My guest this episode is Gary Holt, guitarist, long-running member, as in plays on every single record of Bay Area thrash legends Exodus, and for the last handful of years, guitar player in Slayer. I'm just going to ask you this once, please, if you're enjoying the Speak and Destroy podcast, give us a five-star rating and a nice review in the Apple Podcasts app and anywhere else that you might be listening to your podcasts. And check out speakanddestroy.com where you can find links to our YouTube channel, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, where we are curating playlists unearthing cool, rare Metallica clips from over the years, posting photos and all sorts of other cool tidbits from the band's lengthy history. So let's get right into it. This is my conversation with Gary Holt of Exodus and Slayer. This is Speak and Destroy. From Alex Skolnick to Rob Flynn to David Elfson and different people that have been on the show, uh, your name and, and Exodus in general uh, comes up pretty often. So, very happy to have you. Ah, I hope that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're all my friends, and I appreciate it whenever they've they've paid any sort of compliment to me whatsoever, because they're all metal legends in their own right, you know. Indeed. And, um, it's flattering, you know, it's like, it makes me feel like, you know, everything I've done means something, I guess, you know. Indeed. So take me back pre-metal days even. Uh, what was your first kind of exposure to music and what, uh, you know, what did you hear around the house? And, and what were some of the first things that turned you on where you realized that music was going to be important to you? Well, I mean, I'm the youngest out of six kids, you know, and I have four older brothers, you know, so um you know, in the very young age, you know, I, I'm pretty positive. The first album I ever bought was the Partridge family record, you know, um, nice. that I bought with my own money, you know? Yeah. You know, I remember buying the single for, uh, Donny Osmond, one bad apple, you know? <laughs> and, uh, I remember buying seals, uh, fucking, um, seals and Crofts summer breeze, you know, yeah. the single. Awesome. Awesome. Typo but, negative know, version of that years later. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I prefer the original. Although theirs is pretty killer. <laughs> and um and from there at a very young age, you know, I just started gravitating towards my what my brothers listened to. Like, you know, most kids. So, you know, I was like going to like record day in the sixth grade and just getting vetoed, you know, because they'd allow you to bring records in one day a week and play some music and and I'd walk in with Montrose, <laughs> and nobody wanted to hear it. Everybody just hated it, and I just like a fucking castaway. Just no, like nobody, nobody wanted your the bad classroom, you know. <laughs> yeah, and um, and so you know, I listened to what they did. You know, Robin Trower. You know, fucking Peter Frampton. You know, you know guys like Les Dudek and Roy Buchanan. You know, and um, you know Frank Marino, and and just you know. So, you know, my roots were all like, you know, in just hard rock because my brothers, two of one, were just total rockers, you know. You know, um, my next oldest brother, Charles, you know, years later would just become, you know, 100%, you know, all about British punk rock, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a huge influence on me that led to like, you know, having a hand at least in creating this thing called thrash metal mm -hmm. was, you know, discovering, you know, all, all the british hardcore punk you know which was as much of an influence on me as you know hearing iron maiden for the first time mm -hmm. i think ultimately if you, if you strip thrash metal down to its basic components and i've, I've been blessed to have uh, many architects such as yourself on this show yeah it really is new wave of british heavy metal plus punk rock <laughs> you know and I, yeah i and, mean with with exodus there was a lot of hard rock in there too though you know and um i think that lended itself to a lot of dynamics in the music you know mm -hmm. but um yeah you know to me it was like you take judas priest and 
ACDC and I made an discharge and, you know, you stirred him up in a, in a, in a cauldron and <laughs> threw in some, you know, merciful fate and venom and you had Exodus, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, we just stood on the backs of giants, you know, and, but th- that's how music is, you know, you, yeah. you find your inspiration and, you know, if, if all the stars align, you know, you end up, taking it into a a new, you know, previously unheard direction. And, um, and then someone else does it with yours, you know? And, uh, and, uh, if you're lucky enough to have like become kind of a a branch in the musical tree, you know, you've really done something special, you know? And I, I, you know, I think Exodus have certainly, we have our own limb on that tree and, um, and you know it's a good feeling. You know, cement your 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 place in music history. You know, for sure. And and I think to your point, um, yeah, that what every band does is they're kind of the sum total of their influences. But I also think taking it a step further, there's something about the combination of certain things that haven't been combined before, and then also the lens of your own personal experience and your geographical location and all that sort of thing that that then creates. Uh, new things and you know certainly Exodus fits into that category yeah I mean I've always said it it's kind of like this if you take like the very original thrash bands you know um we all loved the same bands but we all had a certain favorite and I think that made us all stand out a little bit differently Mm. from you know obviously with Metallica's Diamond Head yeah, their first show was not, nine songs, seven were covers, and I think four of those were Diamond Head songs. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, in the Exodus Backyard Party days, we'd cover four Iron Maiden songs, you know, mm. off the first album, you know. But um, with Exodus, you know, my favorite band out of the new wave of British heavy metal, you know, despite their having made really one true album, was Angel Witch. Mm. You know, the Angel Witch debut album, I... I still consider this day as the greatest new wave of British heavy metal album ever made. It's fucking perfection. And that was my favorite. And, and Venom, you know, I, I love Venom, you know, Slayer loved Venom. We, you know, we both Slayer and Exodus love Merciful Fate. So did Metallica, you know, but we all love Diamond Head, you know, but I think you kind of like zeroed in on that particular one and your kind of style came a little bit more from that, you know, mm. That makes sense. Uh, what was your first? Metallica in- were the smart ones. They picked. They picked the best band to emulate. <laughs> they picked the <laughs> one. With, the one with the hooks, success. right? I mean, they, they, well, yeah, they built a you know a blueprint, you know, and they'll be the first to tell you, you know, based on how Diamondhead went about writing songs. You know, we yeah. chose to write about Satan. You know, but where Exodus differed, you know, it's like. Uh, you know, from like Slayer and even the bands we were inspired by, like Mercy Fate and Venom, is you know, we threw a, a huge, hefty dose of street violence in mm-hmm. on that too. You know, and uh, and that that's what made Bonded by Blood. You know, and um, it all comes from somewhere else, uh, which we'll get into in a second. But you had you also had an absolutely unhinged and maniacal singer putting his his stamp over that stuff. Um, but tell me before we get there. Um, Tell me how you met Kirk. What was that first uh, encounter like? And uh, tell me about the early days of that friendship. My first encounter, the first time I ever laid eyes on Kirk Hammett. You know, it's like, you know, because Kirk grew up in El Sobrante, which, you know, um, it's like by car from from my parents' house was probably 15, 20 minutes of just city streets. You know, you don't even get on the freeway. But, you know, when you're a kid, that's a world away. <laughs> that's you know? what I was um, about to say. Yeah, when you're a kid. Not that, not that we yeah. had never been there. I'd been, you know, I used to go motocross riding and uh, go right past El Sobrani. But I didn't know a single soul that lived in El Sobrani. You know, you knew people in your own neighborhood. And like Tom, you know, he went to school in El Sobrante. And that's even though he lived right across Davis Park from me, because I think, he, you know, he had been thrown out of Richmond High or something, expelled, you know, because he was a little younger than me, and I never went to school with Tom, but I knew him from him living across the park. Like, I'd be riding my bike through the park, and I'd hear some drums, you know, coming, because his backyard, like, butted right up against the park. And um, 
Exodus in its then form was uh, Carlton Melson on bass and Kirk Hammett and Tim Agnello on guitar and Tom Hunting on drums. And they played in my high school band room after school, you know, and like, you know, and a lot of us at Richmond High knew Tom and, uh, and Tim Agnello went to Richmond High and uh, Carlton lived in El Sobrante, I believe. And uh, so we knew half of Exodus, and I'd never laid eyes on on Kirk or Carlton before that day. And um, they played in the in our room, and it was like this is hella cool. I mean, Kirk sang uh, "Scorpions," another piece of meat, which was hilarious. I, I mean, <laughs> I still can see it in my head right now. I, it's like it's happening right here in front of me, right? You know, it's not easy singing Klaus Mine. And I, I think at the time, like, he was the only one who knew the lyrics. She said, hey, let's go! Don't put on the show! We're just another piece! Another piece of me! She said, hey, let's go! Don't put on the show! We're just another piece! Another piece of me! And I, so he sang it, you know, I had to stick glasses on and stuff, but, um, from there, you know, it's like, you know, I didn't even play guitar yet, you know, and, um, and I ended up going to see Ted Nugent and the Scorpions with, uh, a couple people I knew. And then we went with Kirk and uh, a couple people, you know, associated with Exodus. And that was the first time I ever hung out with Kirk and we became like, immediate friends right away that first day he played me like scorpions virgin killer and i'd never heard uli roth era scorpions yet Mm. and that was like one of those life-changing moments and uh and we just became friends right like immediately and um and shortly after that he's like you want to learn uh some guitar chords and he taught me my first chords and wow first couple of licks and uh, six months later, I was in Exodus. You know, it's just one of those fortuitous moments, you know. That is so amazing. Yeah. And uh, how did uh, Mr. Bailiff rest in peace? How did how did he come into the picture? Kirk went to see some band play at uh, Berkeley Veterans Hall, I think it was. And, they, and he met Paul. And here's in Paul's from Berkeley, you know, and we were all like, you know, from the Richmond, San Pablo, El Sobrante area. And um, he met Paul and Paul like was into all this total killer, like new wave of British, British heavy metal stuff, which was like fairly new to us. Although Exodus were covering um, Iron Maiden songs and everybody at these parties would play thought they were originals <laughs> because yeah. no one had heard the album. Like, we had a friend, you know, Merle Hall bought the album in an import bin based solely on the album cover. Never heard it. Nobody in the Bay Area was listening to that album yet. And that, and, was, um, that was the same thing with Metallica just, a couple of years later, right? Where people, they're playing Diamond Head songs and nobody in L.A. knew that that was a band. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially in L.A., you know. Um, and uh, so, like, the first time I heard the first Iron Maiden album, it was like discovering music for the first time. Like, you know, you'd never heard a stringed instrument strummed before, you know, it was fucking epic. And uh, Bailoff was like, you know, he introduced me to like, you know, tons of of music that he was already listening to, you know, and um, Venom being one and stuff. And Paul had no experience, you know, he'd never sang in a band, but, you know, he looked killer and he was like... um, gung-ho to do it and at the time tom hunting was playing drums and singing and tom to this day has always been the best singer in exodus but he's he's more like an r&b singer you know he'll he'll sing like you know uh you know he'll croon your ass off you know i mean you put him on a mic you know at every show you know he's always at sound check and start singing but he wasn't like a metal singer and he knew it and we wanted a front man and uh our first show that we ever did with Paul was at a place in Alameda called the Ducal Palace and and he was on top of tables just wrecking shit immediately <laughs> like he took to it like like straight off the top and in Paul I kind of found like my partner in crime that would continue you know after Kirk joined Metallica 
you know, him and I kind of reshaped our vision of Exodus, you know, where we already were and where we wanted to go. And that was more violent, more extreme. And, you know, the thing, uh, and I was saying this to Chuck, uh, when I spoke to him, actually, he was talking about his first band before he joined Legacy. Um and uh hearing the hair band <laughs> yeah and he was saying he was in the studio and exodus was next door and th- that was the first time he heard paul I, I you know when i think about paul i think about uh, you know it's not it's not technique it's not this like you know complicated thing it's this magical vibe you know and, and i think bonded by blood specifically uh you know there's something about just the how unhinged and crazy that performance is and the reverb and that you know it's like all these elements added together to make something that uh just you know is impossible it's lightning in a bottle you know and it's just so yeah much... and and you know the crazy thing is he topped it all in 1997 on the live album yes you know he just yes, elevated yes. elevated those songs to a whole nother level of violence you know but paul you know uh, more than more than myself more than Dave Mustaine, more than James, more than Kirk, more than Carrie, Jeff, and Tom Moralia. You know, Tom, uh, Paul Bailoff personified thrash metal. He mm-hmm. was the fucking, he was the standard bearer. And he, he meant that shit when he said fucking kill a poser. Poser <laughs> yes. started like making sure they knew where their exits were. You know, like you get on a plane and everybody ignores the <laughs> flight attendant safety like speech. You know, you know. Yeah. Make sure you you know where your nearest exit. It could be behind you. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and they 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 were checking the exits. You know, because they didn't know if the crowd was going to turn on him. You know, except for a few posers that we knew who were like on a protected list because they were just as depraved <laughs> and fucked up as we were. <laughs> you know um you know uh, they were like they were protected they were safe and uh they were actually ringleaders in their own right by the time you walk in the club you just be like metal rules that guy's got a blonde stripe in his hair kill him kiss you motley crew creep you know it's like that at one point we were tearing people's shirts off that said bands we didn't like but paul was like you know he meant that shit you know and, and his heart you know bled thrash metal and you know, more than anybody, you know, and to the day he died, you know, that's, that's who he was, you know, he, he'd never changed for better or for worse, you know, um, but, you know, I feel blessed and, you know, to, you know, been able to create this one album with him, you know, it's like, and, uh, he's, you know, he, I always say that you have a man who's rightfully so considered a thrash metal album, thrash metal legend excuse me who made one album twice <laughs> that's a great you way know, to put and it. not a lot of yeah. guys can get that kind of reputation you know yeah based on uh such a small body of work but um anybody who was part of the scene who was lucky enough to be part of the scene back then knows exactly what the fuck i'm talking about you know um you know there was there's no one like him and, you know, um, we parted ways, you know, in hindsight's 2020 and, and you look back and like, yeah, you know, he didn't have his shit kind of together, but hell, you know, 10 years later, none of us did, you know, um, and that's not taking away anything from Zetro, you know, we achieved more success with Steve, of course, but, you know, Exodus over the years until now, we always had the bad habit of like letting we had we were surrounded by father motherly figures and fatherly figures and sometimes whispered things they wanted to see happen mm-hmm. and uh sometimes you know we were easily manipulated considering you couldn't in most circumstances you couldn't get us to do what you wanted no matter what couldn't get us to stop smashing shit you couldn't get us to stop abusing fucking people you could stop abusing drugs you know but you could get us to do certain things you know through the process of manipulation and um and i think that led to you know the departure with with paul you know um but i think all things happen for a reason and i got to make music again with him you know uh, before he died and, and that's what matters you know and i'm making music again with with steve and uh and and it's been awesome you know, I, I've 
I'm a fortunate guy. You know, I've had three singers in the band and I love them all dearly. And they all, yeah. you know, in their own right have cemented, you know, their, their place in the history of this band. You know, none of them are a footnote. Yeah. And, you know, as a fan of, um, Anthrax, uh, Van Halen, ACDC, uh, Kill Switch Engage, Iron Maiden, you know, there, there's a, there's a precedent of, uh, before incense, of bands like Exodus who have had more than one distinctive frontman who have defined different eras and different records. And, and yeah, as you said, uh, not just as footnotes, but as, uh, you know, a hefty presence in that, in the band, you know, and we, we tend yeah. to forgive bands changing everyone but the singer more readily, you know, because the voice is so yeah. identifiable. Well, I mean, some bands have changed singers and, you know, and they, you know, they had three, but, you know, there's always that one guy that no one really remembers that much, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, and I'm not taking anything away from anybody, so I'm not going to name names, but there's always that guy like, you know, Paul was on our debut album only, and he's a fucking legend, you mm -hmm. know, like, and uh, a lot of those guys in that position, you know, they're the ones that don't aren't remembered. Yes. And those are the songs the band almost never plays live. We play fucking totally. <laughs> we play every goddamn one of those at some point or another, you know? Yeah, man. I mean it's going back a little bit still, but uh the eighty two demo, the one with uh Whipping Queen and Warlord, um what do you remember about that and, and that era and uh and, and that you know, what turned out to be obviously uh Kirk's um only I think real recorded appearance up until obviously guesting years later and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we recorded that demo at like, it was a little nightclub in San Francisco. It wasn't even a recording studio, but they had like, like a set hooked up to their little, you know, their sound system. They had like a, an eight track recording setup. So we went in and we said, I don't even remember the name of the place. And we uh, set up on their little stage, played it all live, you know, no overdubs. And uh, went in and did it, and and um, I haven't listened to that thing in so many years. I'm, after this is after I'm off the phone with you, I'm gonna have to go to YouTube and pull it shit up. Yes. And um, I've got the I've got MP3s just, you if you know, need them. <laughs> what's that? I've got the MP3s if you need them. <laughs> oh yeah, you have to send me those. Yeah. Um, I'll throw them on my phone. You know, and those were the good times. I mean, we fucking you know live for the shit. You know, and like. You look back, you know, then, you know, we played five, six days a week, whether we had a gig or not, you know, you just played, you know, now, like most bands, you know, you got five months off on the road from the, from the road, you know, you're not rehearsing, you barely see each other, you know, we fucking spent every day together, you know, and, um, and that's how I think that's what makes a great band is, you know, you have like this kinship and this bond, you know, that's built from, you know, from brotherly love, you know, and, um, and those days were fucking awesome. You know, it's like, I barely, you know, I mean, like I said, I, I started playing in Exodus six months after I picked up a guitar, you know, mm -hmm. a year after I picked up a guitar, it was like big news around the Bay area. Like this guy got really good and he's only been playing 12 months you know like you know now i look at how long i've been playing i should be a whole hell of a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> you know at some point yeah. i fucking i stop stop progressing i don't know i think i, mean, you've I, done, I, I think you've done just fine sir <laughs> but you know but like within like a year and a half i was like shredding you know i'd gotten really good at it you know in six months i was capable and um i think it's because i always wanted to play guitar and, you know, being the youngest out of six, you know, my parents had like probably spent, you know, a good chunk of money on pianos, trumpets, blah, 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 for all my siblings who never stuck with that shit. And I don't know, my parents didn't think I would either. And then I got a guitar and, and, um, as my brothers who were still living at home, like to say, you know, I just sucked. But then like really quickly, they started like, you know, he's not sounding so bad all of a sudden, you know, like, you know went from just squawking noise to like he's actually playing songs you know i don't know what's going on you know it's only been a fucking few months and um and then you know to be out there making a demo and playing clubs and stuff you know and parties half the time it was awesome you know it's like there was no politics involved 
you know, no business sense or, you know, idea of it being anything like that. We just played for the love of music, you know? Yeah. And that, uh, you, you brought up a great point too, about something about that era in a band's history where it's got that, you know, all for one, one for all vibe, uh, just through circumstance, because, you know, nobody's got, nobody's got a mortgage or families or, you know, the things that come in with life responsibilities in the beginning. And that this actually came up with Chuck because, you know, I was asking him like, uh, you know, how did Testament crank out five records in as many years? You know, it was crazy. And he's like, well, we, you know, most of us were living with our parents still, <laughs> you know, like we're just, it's all we, yeah. did. all we did was the band. That's how we did that back then. You know, and it's, it's obviously different now, um, which has its strengths. Well, now, you know, everybody has to tour nonstop, you know, and, um, and you have to try to find time in, to make an album in between tours, you know, back then when we wrapped up an album, you went home and worked on an album for a year, you mm -hmm. know, like, you know, but you also sold a lot more records then, you know, um, you know, eventually, you know, I'm, we're, I'm jump getting ahead of myself because we started out making a demo and now I'm talking about the business, but, uh, yeah, you know, we lived at home and, you know, we spent whatever money we had on weed, alcohol, and fucking guitar strings, you know? Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, I think the one thing as far as, like, speaking on brotherhood and shit, like, you know, and uh, with Exodus, I can only speak for myself, you know, because, you know, I, I'm a privileged guy as far as having a, a bird's eye view of what goes on in this industry, especially my genre, you know? Mm -hmm. like, and uh, the one thing Exodus has that a lot of other bands don't is we fucking still like hanging out you know we go out on tour like we have fun we don't we're not sick of each other 30 something years later you know yeah a lot of bands you know they really don't like each other that much you know doesn't mean they hate each other but you know they're not on tour like fucking on a day off like what are we gonna do come on let's go do something you know like everybody kind of like scatters in their own direction and you know we still like each other you know, we're killer. still best friends, you know, lifelong, you know. Yeah, and and that's not that's not easy to do. I mean, when you think about most people in their everyday lives, you know, what kind of relationships they have with people they knew in high school or like, you know, their high school girlfriend or boyfriend, like it, you know, the the fact that you forged those relationships so early on and that they endure, it, that's a you know, a, a feat and an accomplishment. My best friends are still my best friends from high school, you know, um you know, and my best friend is my drummer, you know, Tom Hunting, you know, my other best friend is my guitar player, Lee, and my bass player, Jack, my singer, Steve, and my singer, Rob Dukes, Tyre, mm -hmm. you know, like, and, uh, but, you know, I, I, you know, I'm lucky that, you know, those kind of friendships have endured, you know, through, through everything, you know, through, um, you know, death, drugs, and rock and roll, you know. Indeed. We um, all still like to play music together. Now, tell me your uh, first encounter with Metallica. How did you first become aware of them, and, and when did you see first see them and, and meet them and all that sort of stuff? We were booked for at the Old Waldorf in San Francisco. It was, uh, I believe it was our first time ever getting booked there. I don't think we played there before that night. And um, it was with Metallica, and um, I'd never heard of them didn't know who the hell they were and uh and i don't think they knew who we were um and we kind of like you know when we got there you know like you know it was immediate like a immediate bond you know between the two of us and it was kind of like we were both looking in the mirror you know it's like you know wait there's another band that plays like <laughs> hella fast riff oriented metal like you know with a bit of punk rock and this in it and that you know and um it was kind of like, you know, discovering that we weren't alone, you know? Do you remember anything about, you know, uh, interacting with them personally at that show? Was it, what, did you have a chance to say hello or was it kind of in Yeah, we raged. <laughs> <laughs> Great. We raged. We got fucking hammered. You know, we partied, you know, we had some house after and probably broke hella shit. And, and we we're just fucking close friends from that day forward, you know, um, you know, it's like, and, you know, Paul's always, always a good party starter. And I'm sure we ended up, we probably ended up at a party, um, 
maybe at Amber Chorus, Chorus's rehearsal room, you know, which a lot of parties ended up over there. I was going to say, I could, I could only imagine Paul and Dave Mustaine together in that era. <laughs> to just yeah. Complete <laughs> hell raising nonstop. Yeah, but I remember that watching their set and like, wow, these guys are really good. You know, um, I remember reading an article years later, and uh, well, not years later, but years ago, I'm sorry. And Lars was talking about that same night. And he goes, yeah, you know, we met Exodus and they were a killer band, but they weren't as polished and professional as us yet. And I was like, what? I watched them motherfuckers. And I'm saying this with all love. I watched the motherfuckers, Dave Mustaine, broke a string, didn't have a backup guitar, had to stop the song so he could change a string in the middle of a song. I'm sorry, professional, I had a Les Paul sitting over there behind me because, you know, I borrowed a guitar from, from John Marshall, yeah, later of Metal Church. And, and Metallica kind filling of. Filling into James Hetfield fame. Yeah. You know, we had backup guitars. I changed my strings. And Tom Hunting was even then the best drummer in the Bay Area. So Lars, come on, your egos are getting a little ahead of you there, pal. Yeah, and, 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 and Metallica <laughs> should have known better because, you know, famously at their very first show in Southern California, Dave broke a string in the first song. And they, you know, and they stood up there forever while he changed it. So by the time they yeah, were playing yeah. with you at the Waldorf, yeah, so you know, I laughed. Awesome. I, I laughed at the, you know, they're not as professional as us. <laughs> professional, dude. You know, the band would have kept playing. I would have grabbed the guitar that I had sitting there tuned, ready to go behind me, and kept and jumped right back in. The band did not have to stop if I broke the strings. <laughs> but you know, they were killer. They were like awesome, and like it was like you know, you know, they they were kind of sloppy then. You know, you know, probably because you know they they pl- played last and they had more time to drink than we did. <laughs> And, uh, but, you know, it was super raw, super punk, you know, and Dave was the front man then, not James, you know, yeah. James sang the songs, but then he kind of slunk off to the back and Dave did all the talking to the audience in those days. Yeah. You I, know, re- I think James was kind of shy back then, you know, like that was, you know, obviously years later, you know, still, you know, before the first album around then, they were still contemplating, you know, trying to get John Bush to sing for him, mm-hmm. you know, so. I don't think James is comfortable with being a front man yet. You know, lo and behold, he becomes years later, one of the greatest of all time, you know? And, uh, but yeah, it was, you know, things were different then, you know, the song would end and Dave got up there and, and would speak, you know, not James. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, thrash metal, uh, you know, as a Marvel comics fan growing up, there's a lot of what if alternate universe comics where, you know, John Bush sings from Metallica and, uh, you know, Zetro sings for Testament and Chuck sings for Sepultura. And, you know, there's a lot of a lot of yeah. these like kind of almost yeah. uh, almost moments that happened uh, where history was was written and could have been rewritten. It's like thrash metal bingo, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And speaking of which, uh, you know, we're in a an anniversary actually being April. I believe it was April 1st uh, when. Kirk got the call about joining Metallica uh, and, and not long afterwards, um, you know, when they broke the news to Dave Mustaine. Uh, what, so, you know, being the other guitar player in Exodus and Kirk being obviously your, your buddy since that Scorpions show and doing the band together and everything, what was your, you know, what was that conversation like when, when he says, Hey, I, you know, I think I might, be- you know, he told us and we supported him a hundred percent, you know, um, you know, I didn't get mad, you know, like maybe, you know, there might've been a little bit of like, whoa, bro, you know, it, but we never said that to him, you know, we like, you know, cause in, in its own way, it was also like a passing of the torch. It wasn't like, oh, we lost our key songwriter. Who's going to write riffs? I was already writing like more and more stuff. Mm-hmm. And my stuff was bonded by blood stuff. Yes. And, um, you know, and Kirk wrote some pretty thrashy killer shit, you know, like fucking, you know, some of it, the best bits of it, Metallica later used in some of their best stuff. That, that was my, that was my next question, but go on. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, it's like, you know, so I saw it as, all right, you know, Kirk's handed me the keys to the car now and, um, and it's mine to drive it, you know, and, uh, just change the oil and rotate the tires and we'll be fine. And uh, me and, and Paul and I looked at looked at it like that, you know. All right, you know, now we're gonna we're gonna fucking take this shit, you know. And it's gonna take an ugly turn here, 
And um, and so we had a big party in that Kurt's house. You know, we had a food fight, full, you know, chucking bologna slices at each other. And uh, we ended up at the old Waldorf just there to party. And we had cut Kirk out of all of our promo photos and put two-sided tape on him. And we were sticking little Kirkies all over the fucking club. And he was going around trying to find him and take him down. Like they were in the girls' bathroom stalls, you know. <laughs> girls sit down and there's Kirk with his flying bee staring at him. That's and uh, you awesome. know, so he had his our total support, you know, and uh, you know, we had no problem with it, you know, like we were we were happy for him. At the time, no one thought that things were going to be that it was, you know, m- much more than a a slightly not quite lateral move, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody in the in the bay viewed us as like being right there behind them but you know exodus had our own problems and delays and all that put us years behind but um at that time you know it, was, it wasn't it wasn't a giant leap forward it was a slight leap forward you know they were getting ready to do an album and we should have been kind of right behind them making one but yeah you know his, history's shown that wasn't the case <laughs> well and you know certainly and i've said this on the show many times before and and i'm obviously not alone in this thought but you know the press named the big four and i think any metal fan uh, you know would would argue that a big five or a big six then becomes exodus and testament like there's no question like who are the next two in that succession <laughs> you know um yeah you know i'm I have to I have to disagree on the Testament one, and it's nothing against Testament, but everybody overlooks the Germans and Creator mm. and Destruction were ripping thrash metal out before Testament was. Yeah, and you know what? They were a huge influence on Sepultura. That comes up in conversation with those guys a lot too. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah. fucking Destruction, like that first tour we did with Venom in Europe, you know, me and Bailoff couldn't have been more thrilled to meet the guys in destruction when they came to the show, a headlining show we did in Zurich. We were stoked because we were fucking huge fans, you know? So, you know, I've always said that the Germans don't get their due. Why does everybody, when they say a big five, they only look at the American bands. These Mm. guys were there before they were part of the first wave. Yeah. That's crucial. They might've been a couple years they might have been a year or two behind some of us, but they were like three or four years ahead of those other ones. And, you know, Testament are thrash metal legends. You know, there's no denying that. But, you know, they they came about after, you know. Yeah, I never and really that thought about fucking, that. That's a great point. Yeah. And uh, this is, you know, those early, just you know, that first Destruction album is fucking epic. Yeah, just <laughs> so Destruction rad. and Sodom and all those. But yeah, they were. Uh... Yeah, Sodom and fucking Creator. Yeah, and I know those bands were, uh, yeah, for Max and Igor and Andreas and those guys, I know they were, you know, it was like Slayer and then like, you know, Creator, <laughs> you know, like those were, and then suddenly there's Thrash in Brazil, you know, so yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely, definitely super important. You know, so, you know, but, you know, when, you know, Big Four, that's based on record sales, you know, and and there are, there are awesome godlike bands i play guitar in one of them you know um but you know it's like you know i'm not a guy who sits around like fucking like an angry drunk at the bar like well i should be part of that you know i know where i was when the shit started and and i know where i know where anthrax was when they first started they were playing leopard striped guitars with the shirts off you know (laughs) (laughs) you know like and 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 uh, Neil Turbin had his chain mail on, you know, they didn't look very thrash, no. you know, they're thrash legends and they're awesome friends of mine. And one of my favorite bands on earth, but in the very beginning, you know, they weren't quite what we were, you know, yeah. even Slayer were rocking the makeup and shit. Indeed. You know? Indeed. The eyeliner. You and, know? Uh, and I think those early Slayer shows, that's another band that, you know, they were covering the Scorpions and stuff like that. Uh, when they were starting. Yeah, well, so did we, you know, yeah. we covered Scorps too. We're still one of my favorite bands, you know, it's, Crucial band. I have a, there's a huge catalog of Scorpion songs. I'm able to like hack my way through, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I do it at sound checks quite regularly. Um, yeah. And on, and on this topic, uh, you know, and I'm skipping ahead a bit, but, um, you know, when, uh, when it looked like Megadeth might not be able to play the Yankee stadium show, you know, it was Exodus that was, 
you know, plane ticket in hand. Like that was, you know, the, the call goes out to Exodus. Like it wasn't a, I don't think there was any deep thought that went into like, okay, who steps in here? You know, of course it's Exodus. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Kurt called me himself and, and like, bro, you know, what's going on? And, and what's up? Not nothing. What's up? And, uh, he tells me that he, what's going on. Can you guys be ready? Are you rehearsed? I said, we're always rehearsed. You know, like, you know, you, you would have probably been talking 30 minutes that we could go out and play the classics, which we could play in our sleep anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's like saying, you know, Metallica, do you really got to let go and put in a week's rehearsal to play Seek and Destroy? No. <laughs> right. You know, um, we could have gone out and, and gave them a, a proper set and, you know, in a moment's notice. And I had already had the back, back line all set up. You know, we were going to use Slayer back line, you know, like, you know, and all we needed was just a drum set, a bass rig for Jack because he was an ampeg and, and a couple other things, you know, I would have just used what I was already going to play on with Slayer. Mm-hmm. And by the time we had it all, like literally this whole experience took like an hour before Dave decided he is doing the show and the whole thing was off. So, you know, despite me having, you know, got to experience this monumental um, moment of playing Yankee stadium at the same time, it was a giant bummer because I was going to get to do it with Exodus, you know, like, yeah. and, and um, it was a bummer. I think like anthrax was going to move up a slot on the bill and they're playing in the fucking Bronx at Yankee stadium. What that meant to Scotty and, cannot be understated you know and i think they got didn't they get the key to the city that day or something too or right around yeah they did yeah you know fucking much deservedly so but you know like i talked to scott about it over the years and we're we're all glad dave played you know but at the same time it's like fuck you know it was like dangled the carrot was dangled in front of me for exodus Mm -hmm. and it was dangled for anthrax to have a little bit later slot at the biggest hometown show of their fucking lives, you know? And, um, but it all went away. The show was awesome. <laughs> it was killer, you know? Yeah. And I, and I gotta say, I mean, you know, and we're glad Dave played, you know, it's big four. He should be there. But, um, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, you just thought something was going to be even more special. And then Kurt called me back like, bro, man, I'm sorry, man. It's not going to happen now. <laughs> I'm like, fuck. But um, I, it was like, fuck, fuck, that sucks, bro. I'll see you there, <laughs> which was really weird. Another issue of the uh, thrash metal what if comic series. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, exactly. To... Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, as a huge Slayer fan, um, I first got to see the band uh, Slayer, Motorhead and Overkill that tour. I think it was 88 um, World Sacrifice tour on uh, South of Heaven. And, you know, still one of the best shows I've ever seen and. Uh, you know, I, I've seen the band uh, perform with different lineups, including with you. Uh, I think the last time I saw you play with them was uh, Riot Fest in Denver a couple of years ago. And it was an awesome show. I honestly don't think the band has sounded that good in, in terms of being tight and aggressive and pissed uh, in, a, in a long time. It's just on all cylinders now. But I'm really happy that I got to see the big four in Indio because, uh, you know, obviously you played that gig. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that was Jeff's last performance right because then he came that was just last performance um he played south of heaven and angel of death you know yeah and um you know i've been friends with jeff for a long time you know and um and uh you know i handed off handed the our tech ours you know warren his longtime tech is still my tech but that night he was for both of us Mm -hmm. i handed him my guitar and jeff just gave me this like bear hug you know that showed you know a strength in that fucking hug that you know for that moment you can't believe a guy struggling and and dealing with what he's had to do with his arm because he fucking like loosened a couple of vertebrae in my back doing it you know Mm -hmm. you know it's just this like really intense visceral moment for me you know and uh, and then I, I stood there with my wife and two of my kids went with me and I watched just final two moments and and the timing was perfect because the sun was had set mm-hmm. and it was just this like a little bit of glowing light off in the horizon and you know that i could see and um and you know and i i saw his final moments with the band you know and 
it was unreal. It was something special I'll never forget. Yeah, same here. And it was, you know, from the audience, I can tell you that same experience. And yeah, that sun coming down, it was like the, it was like watching the seasons in the abyss video. <laughs> it was, yeah. it was exactly. And it was, it was epic. One of my greatest memories in this industry, you know, and, and I've got a lot, you know, and, uh, but that one, that one's right up there, you know, that and at his memorial when uh Kristen from Slayer Management read um the statement from Jeff's wife Kathy and mm-hmm. and you know these are things that were never conveyed to me. You know, like I was at a Slayer rehearsal and Jeff come by one day and actually, you know, you know I had I initially felt really awkward, you know. Sure. But then, you know, in a minute later, you know, I asked him to show me a little part in seasons and he showed me what he does and it was cool. And it was a brief little meeting. And, but, um, I wasn't privy to like, you know, behind the scenes thoughts on my participation in this thing, you know? And, um, and in Kathy's statement, you know, she just, she described telling Jeff that the band was going to continue with another guitar player. And Jeff was kind of like, bummed and then he said who and they said gary holt and she said that his eyes lit up and his only response was fuck yeah and you know and hearing that for the first time while up in the balcony watching the thing you know i I lost it you know it's a very emotional moment yeah and 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 particularly special when you know and and i'm not saying this is because you know because it's macho or evil or whatever i think it's just personalities but slayer's not really thought of as a band that's like you know, communicating their emotions and feelings amongst each other. So to hear like a little glimpse of that says so much about the bigger picture, you know, what somebody else might take thousands of words to convey, you know, a guy like Jeff Hanneman could convey in two words and it means just, yeah, exactly. And you know, and that, that meant everything to me, you know, yeah. Hearing that, you know, it's because, you know, I was new, I was, you know, at the time of his passing, I, along with everybody, still hope Jeff was coming back. You know, it's like sure. I, I went into this thing as a short-term favor for some friends. That, and I also thought this would be fun, you know, do something a little bit different. You know, go out and play with some other people. I've never done that in my whole life up to that that time, you know. I'd been in Exodus, and I had a short stint playing another band with Tom Hunting called Wardance. And Jack Gibson, who later played plays bass for exodus mm-hmm. other than that i'd never played in another band in my life ever you know not even fucking really jammed and uh so yeah this will be cool and this maybe a few months you know and here i am you know like fucking seven years later wow right? you know it's like it's not a it's not a position i wanted to be in you know obviously you know i want jeff to be here we all do yeah, but you know, I just I just try to like make the man proud when when I go out there, and you know, the band's allowed me to do put my own stamp on things. Mm-hmm. I've never been asked to like play like Jeff because I don't think I don't I I know I'm not even capable of that. You know, it's totally way different style than me. There's a million guitar players in Slayer tribute bands better suited to do that because <laughs> they spend their entire existence learning how to emulate his like one of a kind style i don't you know it's like but you know it's been a ride it's gonna come to an end um you know it's kind of sad kind of glad you know it's like yeah you know i can go back to doing these other things i've been known for doing (laughs) and now now people can stop asking you how many riffs you're going to get on the next one (laughs) oh yeah yeah don't have to ask me that anymore (laughs) No, you can leave that question alone. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a million riffs. They're all fucking being worked on right now for the new Exodus. Hell yeah. And I think, uh, you know, as a fan, I can tell you, it just, you know, you kind of succeeding, you know, taking over and uh, stepping in, you know, whatever you want to put it for Jeff, it, it, there's a real great kind of spiritual symmetry and synergy there where, you know, there was some overlap. And, and as you just pointed out, Jeff was obviously aware um, you know, it's different than other situations where, you know, there's like a, a tragic, surprising loss, you know, it, obviously he had been ill for a while and, um, no one, you know, everyone hoped he'd come back and no one wanted to see him go, but 
but it's a little bit different in that, you know, you were obviously the, you know, you and Tom are like the two main guys, the core of Exodus and Exodus is the core of that scene that Slayer, you know, you all founded together. So it, you know, it made a lot of sense. I can't imagine there's nobody else that I could think of that would make sense, you know, being up there. Yeah. I mean, it made sense because for one, you know, I had the, the OG fucking status to where, you know, people aren't going to be like, what, you got some new guy from this band that's musically totally removed from Slayer. Mm-hmm. And you also got a guy who like, you know, personally is, you know, a part of the whole, you know, the whole start of this thing and friends with the band since it started, you know? Yeah. I mean, I remember when Bailoff and I first heard Slayer, you know, we were listening to Show No Mercy and we'd never even met and we're like, this is fucking awesome. We got to fucking meet these guys, you know? <laughs> we got to fucking record. wreck shit with them. <laughs> and, uh, and we wrecked more than they did the first time we met. But, <laughs> you know, the infamous destroying of Slayer's hotel room. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Which also leads to, like, many years later, one of my greatest losses in all, like, the history of any memorabilia I own is Jeff gave me the upside down cross slide guitar thing from the back of Shona Mercy that night. Oh, wow. And I used it to destroy the mattress. And, and I had that thing for till the nineties and I think it'll move and ended up uh, coming up missing. Every time I think about it, I just fucking sink. You know, I was like, I had that motherfucking thing from the early eighties to the early nineties and just somewhere at some point of like what is my upside down cross slide thing and can't find it nowhere it's gone it was probably reclaimed by whatever demon conjured it and forged it in hellfire in the first yeah. place so yeah exactly <laughs> there's somebody fucking unscrewed the slide off it and sitting there playing blues in a bar with it <laughs> threw their ass away you know <laughs> yeah i think jeff jeff's spirit is probably laughing at you. he probably hit it from you yeah, exactly. We kind of touched on this a little bit ago, but I think uh, even died in the wool hardcore Metallica and Exodus fans, I don't know that how much awareness there is of uh, the Exodus song "Die by His Hand." Um, I didn't even become aware of it until later in life, uh, and you go, "Wait, that's creeping death." <laughs> um, yeah, it's creeping death. <laughs> yeah, there's. Uh, it goes beyond that. It's also part of my lyrics that I never was credited for. And I think Metallica probably owes me about a quarter million dollars right now. <laughs> I, would, I would say there's been some crowds who have sung those lyrics. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all, you know, it's disheartening. I used to fucking hate it, you know, I because bet. at the time I remember calling Kirk up and like, dude, what's up? I was like, Oh man, I thought I asked you, you know, like, no, you didn't. <laughs> those are fucking my words, you know, fucking you just flipped them a little bit. In the end, you know, oh man, I'm sorry. Like, all right, I don't care. You know, because yeah. at that point, you know, I was not going to use any Kirk era songs anyway. Not, no offense to Kirk. We just, you know, we were moving forward. And I, we never we never recorded a, a Kirk Hammett era song until we did Impaler on uh, Tempo of the Damned, you know? And then did your fans and, go, uh, hey, you guys ripped off Trapped Under Ice? And you went, no, uh, uh. <laughs> no no sorry pal but you know it's one of those things where you know i'll take a selfie of myself and i'll post it up somewhere as the stupidest man in heavy metal you know because uh had i just like demanded my credit on that yeah i'd probably be getting a pretty you know it's not like it's songwriting credit on inner sandman but you know the song's been in tons of movies albums multi-platinum I would probably be getting a really comfortable check, you know, every accounting period. I, you know, I think I actually did some somewhat math and, you know, close to $300,000. Oh, I think it's probably more than that, not to pour salt in the wound. But, yeah. when, you, but when you think about... Uh... Well, I, I was going by at the time, just, just going on Wikipedia's 
sales count for the album. Well, and I mean, you know what uh, one quarter of the publishing for one song would be, and because uh, we we're sitting having some drinks, me and uh, actually Carrie King and and our tour manager went out to dinner, and we were like, I was like commiserating about it, and like, yeah, and Carrie. <laughs> pulls out his calculator he knew exactly how much I was owed <laughs> and I said but you're not taking into account all the movies and other licensing and stuff yeah yeah one of these days maybe they'll like they'll realize their um the the error of their ways and they'll realize that yeah they should pay Gary for <laughs> the lyrics that they stole from him hashtag hashtag pay Gary Holt I mean, they fucking paid Dave Mustaine for everything oh, for yeah. fucking a millionaires. Pay the guy who's never said a bad thing about you ever. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. You know, the guy who's always had your back, even when you made St. Anger. The most I would say is I think they're just a little misguided. That would be really good <laughs> if it sounded better. You know, I never like called it a piece of shit. Actually, I truly believe the album, if it sounded really good, Actually, I remember seeing this thing online where this guy in his ho- at home re-recorded all of Saint mm-hmm. Anger, but with like proper production, and it sounded killer. Yeah. yeah, and he did a YouTube video where he's like, and there's like four. It's like a split screen, and it's all him. <laughs> playing yeah, it's all him, and yeah, he redid killer. all of it with like a proper snare and drum yeah. and crunchy guitar tone, and it was really good. Much better. It definitely still I, you could use some editing in terms of some of the songs. It could use some editing, but, yeah, you know, um, but it was uh, much improved without, you know, that like uh, brass bell for a snare drum, but um, <laughs> yeah, Metallica, yeah. if you hear this, you know, you guys should like, you know, look within your hearts. <laughs> look at your old friend who's like paying off college bills for his kid and go <laughs> <laughs> you know, people don't think about this you that w- without if Megadeth had never started, you know, Mustaine would would still be a millionaire several times over from those Yeah, rides, yeah, exactly. Know. Come on, fucking what am I, chopped liver? <laughs> <laughs> it's the the the, the Help a brother out. The, the unknown you know, mechanics like, four horsemen is the die by his hand and creeping death. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is like I have a picture of myself and Scotty Ian, right? And we were telling these stories and he has his own stupidest man in heavy metal story about being offered like a, a couple of percentage points off kill them all for like the help he did with uh, putting them and Megaforce together. And he turned yeah. it down. No, I'm not into this for the metal. And I was like, and we were both sharing our, our stories and we're like, God, we're so stupid. <laughs> and I took a selfie of him and I like in, you know, dubbed the stupidest men in heavy metal. (laughs) (laughs) Little did we know. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I was going to say, when you're talking about Carrie with the calculator, I don't, I don't, I don't want to tell you what I've, what I've heard King Diamond and Hank Sherman got from that (laughs) merciful fate. Oh, no, I've heard, (laughs) you know, yeah. Um, But Hey, they, they do pay it forward in so many other ways and, and take care of all their old homies. Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the, you know, and I'm not trying to talk shit. I I love love Metallica, but the last time Exodus ever played with Metallica, the last time Exodus played with Metallica was in like 86 at the Bill Graham civic. And we crushed them that night. Like we had more stacks, bigger riser. We just came (laughs) out and blitzed them. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, James at the show, we were getting fucking wasted. And he goes, you guys are hella good. You're never going to open for us again. And we never opened for them again. <laughs> <laughs> Ever. Now, I guess in recent years, like in the last couple, Exodus, while I was out with Slayer, I played a couple of festivals in Metallica was on the same day. But we'd never played with them again. Ever. And I remember. And that was when Bailoff was still in the band. So, yeah, I did. Yeah, and, th- and that would have been around right. the time that they thanked you as eggs at us. <laughs> the oh, well, that was that was done out of love. We of, loved course. That shit. of course, of course, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. But I got I got nothing for love, nothing but love and mad respect for Metallica. Of course, I know, you know it's all in good fun. I mean, in, yeah, it's all in good fun. I mean, in the Bay Area, there was a lot of backlash against them over the years when they were going out on tour, taking out the cult and faith for more and stuff. And everybody did used to think, you know, you know, they're like abandoning the bands that they should take out, you know, but I never looked at it like that. You know, it's like they're under no obligation to take anybody out. And, uh, you know, and they're trying to bring in a little bit different audience than would, uh, would already be there anyway, you know? So 
you know, I, I've always had their back, you know, I've never thought they owed anybody anything, you know, but I think now in their, in their wiser older years, I think they, they, they look back and reflect on the old days really fondly now, mm-hmm. you know, um, like, you know, I've just read an article about James having the guitar built out of the garage. Yeah. I just saw that too. Yeah. Which I was so mad when I read that article, not mad because he did it because I mean, I would say maybe about 10 years ago, I was living further up North in Chico, California. And I got a call saying, uh, Ruthie's in, which had become a bookstore and is now going to be a church that they had ripped the stage out. They gutted the place to convert it to a bookstore. And I couldn't find anybody that night to go get me a hunk of the stage because mm. that's exactly what I wanted to have done. I wanted to save it yeah. so I could have a guitar made out of it. Yeah. And, uh, by the time I could even get a hold of anybody, you know, it was like a few days and, you know, someone willing to go down in a truck and haul a piece of fucking lumber. Man, that would have been, awesome and what an obviously legendary venue that's such a central role in the the history of all these bands we're talking about and all this great music that happened there what can we look forward to exodus wise once you're i mean obviously you're gearing up for this big slayer run and and that's going to be a whole thing physically and emotionally i'm sure um what's uh what's on the exodus horizon uh after that um i i've been writing now for six months, you know, just compiling tons and tons of like crushing stuff. And, and Tom and I, we're, we're of the same mindset that we're in no hurry. You know, like when we make down, we're going to make a statement and it's going to be a bold one. And everybody always says, Oh, you know, my new album's the best thing ever, blah, blah, blah. We're going to make sure this one is, you know, like, and, uh, you know, when you make a new album, you go into it, you know, stoked on your record. So of course there's going to be a little hyperbole, you know, but, um, but uh, we're going to make the baddest motherfucking thrash sound anybody's ever heard. You're going to crush people. Fuck yeah. Well, I mean, if, if anybody can uh, deliver on that promise, it's Gary Holt and Exodus. <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be yeah. waiting. The new, the new shit, the new shit is fucking crushing. It's like ridiculous. But it's also like, like got super hooky choruses and shit, you know? Yeah, I mean, no, no sellout involved. It's just really song-based brutality like fucking it's awesome There's a lot of melody too i'm really stoked the last time i saw you guys i you know i've been going to comic-con every year since 2002 and i saw you when you did that the thing with kirk um and i want to say zetro had just was kind of semi-recently back in the band it was the first time i'd seen the band with him back and uh, yeah that, he, that was really new in the in his return yeah and just crushed man i was just you know i was there with uh some old friends that I grew up with and, you know, high school days and all that. And we were fucking psyched to see Exodus and was Zetro. Um, it's fucking cool. No, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, and every, every time I've gotten the chance to jam with Kirk, you know, it's, we have so much fun, you know, it's like, you know, we, it, it takes us right back to these two dudes that, you know, used to like park, you know, I lived three houses down from a park and one street over was the end of the park and had a little parking lot, you know, and we used to just, park over there after a night of party and and we just hang out and talk music you know and just listen to music and and uh just get fucked up and and just be kids you know be stupid kids awesome kids and uh, then i just walk through the park home and um you know it kind of takes me back to that you know like and i think it does him too you know and yeah we have a really good time you know i wish i saw him more often you know it's like I'm busy. He's busy. When we've done the big four shows, you know, it's really cool. Like we went out to dinner in Australia when we did sound waves together and, and he invited some of his surfer buddies and his security guy, Tom was with us. And we started digging into all these old stories, you know, and people were just in shock. They were just like, this is the craziest shit I've ever heard. (laughs) You guys are just rattling them off, you know, you know, climbing through burnt out liquor stores to get the rescue all the booze yeah at their big fire at the wagon wheel bar and liquor store shit like that amazing well i can tell you good uh, times you know 15 16 years ago um i was a reporter for mtv news and i was doing uh uh, kurt loader had done what turned out to be one of johnny cash's final interviews and we did some 
kind of supplemental interviews with some people that were influenced by Johnny Cash to run with that. And uh, I got to fly out to Salt Lake City because it was the closest they were coming to L.A. or New York to interview James and Kirk uh, for, uh, you know, this Johnny Cash piece. And, you know, it's uh, the middle of the afternoon. It's in their tuning room. And I'm just I'm as far all they as far as they're concerned, I'm just some dude from MTV. Right. Like, I don't you know, you don't really walk around with a sign that says like thrash metal kids, you know, the 80s. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. So my uh, you know, my little interviewer trick where you want to establish a little bit of trust and get people comfortable and let them know you're you're not an idiot. Um the first thing out of my mouth sitting down in that interview starting, you know, because we're talking about Johnny Cash for a half an hour. The first thing I said was, so, you know, when you're uh, when you were starting Exodus, where it was Johnny Cash and influence, <laughs> it was like you, <laughs> you immediately see both of them kind of sit up a little like, oh, OK, <laughs> this, that's awesome. This, this is maybe not. the yeah, I got nothing. That's fucking killer. I mean, I got nothing but love for those guys. I mean, and. James is to this day the greatest rhythm guitar player that ever walked the earth. You know, like, I mean, his down picking is just insane. And then you factor in that he does it while singing. It's, I can't sing fucking the simplest song and play it at the same time, you know? <laughs> you can find Exodus on Twitter at Exodus Attack and keep up with everything Gary has going on on all of the various channels for both Exodus and Slayer. You can find me on social media at Ryan Downey on Twitter at Superhero HQ on Instagram. Check out past episodes of Speak and Destroy with great guests like M. Shadows, Mike Portnoy, Lizzie Hale, Jamie Josta, David Ellison, Alex Skolnick, and many, many more. And check out our sister podcast, No Prize from God, which features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. Guests have included Kellen Quinn of Sleeping with Sirens, Jesse Leach of Killswitch Engage, Dwight Hellion of Integrity, Satir Juan Graven of Satyricon, Karen Crisis of Gospel of the Witches, and many more. Speak and Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. As always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downing.